Good grod, everybody. It's that time again for another Grodcast. All right, let's get right into it. Today, we're going to talk about the latest issue of The Flash, being that it's a Grod-centric episode. We're going to talk about all Grod all day. So, let's get started. So, again, there's something interesting that happened in this episode of The Flash at the very end. Spoilers if you haven't seen it. But let's go through the episode. So, you've got Grod is back in the city, and he wants... Caitlin Frost. He knows her from the past. He decides to to jack her and steal her. And meanwhile, we got a paralyzed Flash. A Flash without an ability to walk. And that's something that's happened a few times in comic books with other characters as well. You had your incident with Jon Stewart. You had your War Machine. Then you had your Flash. And you also have, if you remember from last week's podcast, we talked about Zoom. Hunter Zolomon, also another character uh, bound in a wheelchair and limited, and then getting abilities and losing that lack of walking. And a lot of the time they use that lack of walking as a metaphor for an inability to produce their effectiveness as a superhero. With Jon Stewart, if I'm not mistaken, his paralysis was caused by his own thoughts and limitations, and the ring willed it into being that way. And so you have a lot of these characters with this helplessness and this paralysis, this feeling of inability to do anything. And so the Flash isn't able to walk. He's got to retrain. He's got to learn how to crawl before he can walk again. The whole episode building up to when he's finally able to build up and confront Gorilla Grodd. So he confronts Gorilla Grodd, as we all know, um, by using Harrison Wells of Earth 2 to pretend as though he is the Harrison Wells from their Earth. And so he tries, and Grodd eventually picks up on the fact, you're not the same guy. That guy treats me like crap. Anyway, they're able to rescue Miss Frost, and then they go in a battle with Grodd. And the part that I really want to focus on in the episode was what happened at the end, and that was tremendous for me, is they opened up a wormhole to another parallel Earth where there is a gorilla city. And for those of you Flash fans, here's a Flash fact that's really exciting. Gorilla City is probably one of the best things to happen in comic books. And was one of the best things to happen on TV now, too. I mean, the way that I'm looking at all the way that they handle the different characters in the different series and how they really treat it seriously, you're going to see a pretty awesome Gorilla City. And for the context of Gorilla City prior to the TV series, let's take a look back at what Gorilla City used to be. So, as it were... In the days of the dinosaurs when the comets came and man evolved, there was a group of gorillas that were getting evolved as well. And so over time, they developed much faster, much stronger than the humans did, and they eventually create Gorilla City in the heart of Africa. And what they do with it is they have a big dome around it. Nobody can see in, nobody can see what's going on in Gorilla City. Nobody knows that it's there. And so you had a leader rise from that, which was at the time the original universe, Gorilla Grodd. And he wanted to take on humanity, take over, kill all the humans, and just instill his law, his simian law, if you will to the world. And so you have this character, Gorilla Grodd, now 
very different from then. And so the way that they were able to handle it was pretty cool. Harrison Wells is like, oh, there's another universe we've been researching into with another Earth that has Gorilla City, but it's a bunch of gorillas that were practiced on and experimented on, and now they have their own reserve to call their own, which is interesting because a reserve for gorillas and monkeys that have been experimented on is probably the most plausible way to introduce it into this current day continuity. Remember last week we were talking about how a lot of things change to fit the needs of society to make sense of everything, you know, from radiation to genetic modification. And now you have something very similar from like, okay, here's a city of gorillas that evolved over time. And now it's more like, here's a city of gorillas that was experimented on and escaped their captors and now live in peace on this earth interesting thing about it really is going to be whether or not they introduce some of the Gorilla City characters that we've come to know and love. Specifically, I'm thinking of Solovar, the leader of Gorilla City, um, or at least he was the leader of Gorilla City. The new 52 version of Gorilla City was actually led by Grodd, and he had a connection to the Speed Force in a way that they hadn't done it before either. They introduced him as somebody who was aware of the Speed Force, could potentially tap into the Speed Force, and use the powers for his Grodd-like ways. And so, again, just talking about tapping into that whole things have changed and stayed the same at the same time. You've got a character that has changed in many ways, and we've seen Gorilla Grodd start out as a sentient being with abilities. Then you had one who tapped into the Speed Force, and now flash forward to we have Gorilla Grodd in the show, who was experimented on, genetically modified. And having a father figure in a way, the Harrison Wells character. Now, the Harrison Wells... Spoiler, if you haven't seen it already, is not the same Harrison Wells, obviously, we know. Harrison Wells being Zoom from the first season and then getting sent through the time stream, coming back, and then getting killed when his ancestor offs himself, uh, Eddie Thawne. And, you know, something was interesting, bro- interestingly brought up that nobody ever saw his body disappear, kind of got sucked into the time stream. So there's a good chance that our friends Eddie and Eobard are not done with this series, which is great because there's a lot of stuff to talk about. Man, speaking of stuff to talk about from Flash this week or two weeks ago now at this point, going on three weeks is... The introduction of what I perceive to be the Justice League. You got Black Canary, you got Green Arrow, you got Green, you got Flash, you got Vibe, you got Hawkman, you got Hawkgirl. You've got a Justice League. You've got Speedy, you've got a Justice League there. And they premiered and came out of that van and blasted against Vandal Savage. It was fantastic. Not only that, but seeing the Flash go back in time a second time, I'm not going to lie, this one brought a tear to my eye. It was so amazing to see this character that I grew up loving and just enjoying so much, see him have this central role. Not only that, but really tap into that whole thing that we've talked about, character development and relationships. And it was just so beautiful to see him once again. He was with Oliver Queen. And Oliver, when he's trying to fight on Vandal Savage, just goes, run, Barry, run. And it's just it just hit me. For whatever reason, at that moment, I sat there. I was like, wow, I've literally gotten everything that I've wanted. I can't want for more because I got everything I need in this show. And an arrow. 
A lot of credit goes to both of those shows. Synergy is amazing, and it's a wonderful thing. And the momentum that DC builds on its TV front in a lot of these shows is exactly what Marvel's doing on its movie front. Speaking of Marvel, I just want to say, and we talk about characters a lot, we're going to flash over to a different category real quick, and we're going to talk a lot about probably one of the most interesting TV shows I've seen on Netflix or TV in a while. That particular being Jessica Jones. Now, I don't know how many of you are that familiar with Jessica Jones, but you're probably all fairly familiar with it now that the show has hit. And that was something that I gotta say has been a great, great story. It was a great comic book. It was written very well. Great art, especially when you read the early stuff. I know it switched over to Um, not Powers, it switched over to being called The Pulse. But originally, it was worked on by Brian Bendis and Michael Gatiss. And I gotta say, Michael Gatiss had such great art for that particular book. And it set up a whole feel for it. And we're going to talk about that feel in a minute. But right now, I just want to bask in the glory that was Jessica Jones. And is Jessica Jones. I mean, as of now, we haven't confirmed that there's going to be a season two. But, I mean, after what we saw there, I don't doubt that it'll happen. I mean... First off, you got Kristen Ritter playing Jessica Jones, who's absolutely fantastic in the role. I must say, I was skeptical at first. I really didn't know she could do it. I was like, you know, I don't know if this chick can ball. But you know what? I gave her a chance. I watched it, and I fell in love with it. Not only that, but the whole cast is incredible. I'm sorry to say at this moment I don't remember Luke Cage's real name in real life, but the actor that played him played him spot on. I mean... That acting was amazing. You got, spoiler alerts, Hellcat. You got other characters, like, spoilers alert, again, you have Nuke appear in the show by the tail end of it. And character development being what it is created these fantastically live, real characters. And then we get to the man of the hour, who took by far the strongest role in that show, and that was David Tennant as the Purple Man. I mean, just the way he played it was fantastic. It's really hard to convey the ideas of telepathy and mind control because it's really just based on the actors convincing you that that is something that's going on. And I got to say, they all did it beautifully. They all did a fantastic job of convincing you that the mind control was actually happening that the mind control was really going on in the story. I mean, the actors couldn't have done better with it. It was just beautiful to see. And the story itself follows a really, really age-old genre. And this is probably my most favorite part about it. When I watch it, slowly the pieces click together, and I said, oh my gosh, they're doing a film noir, just like the comic. It was absolutely a beautiful interpretation of film noir set in a modern-day superhero pop culture world backdrop. We really got a taste for not only the Marvel Universe, the cinematic universe, we also got a great delving into the chops that Marvel can do with a genre that I don't think has been touched that often in the mainstream pop culture nowadays. Film noir is 
French derivative filming. It has a very specific type of story arc. It usually centers around a down-and-out hero. Now, fallen heroes and down-and-out heroes are something we've talked about on Grodcast in the past, but this particular reference goes to something more. It refers to a character that's hit a really hard time. They had this very strong personality. They had these very positive feel. They were very strong and good at what they did. Some great tragedy in their life brought them down, and they brought them down through using some variety of drug, usually alcohol. There's some recovery. There's an alcoholic vibe to it. And a lot of film noir, I gotta say, doesn't have a perfect happy ending. Now, they followed that right to the end. I mean, I don't have to say it for all of you that have watched it, but for those of you that haven't watched it, you gotta take a look at this because it really follows the perfect film noir story arc. And even more than that is just... It just gave you a feel for these people. I don't think of them as characters. Marvel's got me thinking they're people. And they got me feeling for these people I've never met before. And over the span of all these episodes, they got me to really really feel for these characters. I mean, there were characters that were introduced that didn't exist in the books that they got me feeling for. I can't remember his name either right now, but spoiler, the druggie that becomes her pseudo-assistant, they didn't have that in the books, ever. It was amazing to see that. It was amazing to watch that. Even some of the other stuff, like her best friend in the comic book, if I'm not mistaken, is Carol Danvers. I don't think it was, uh, it was, it was Pamela Hayden, it was Hellcat, rather. Um, and that was just incredible to see that happen. Just these characters that didn't exist in that world. And then, man, oh man, seeing Rosario Dawson, the Night Nurse, show up in the same role? It was fantastic. It was just a great piece of storytelling and a great piece of film noir. And again, the whole encompassing film noir feel. We had the down and out hero had a great tragedy, brought them down, still great at what they do, but feeling limited by themselves. And she plunged herself into the world of alcohol. And they really sold that in this show. They really sold the grungy, down and out, don't care about myself stuff. You know, but it was great. It was so well done. And then amidst all of this, there's this beautiful rose of a love story. They tried to give you two of them, but spoiler alert, they set you up for the one of them to be a failure. The one that they really blossomed and worked on was the one between Jessica Jones and Luke Cage. They really sold this love of two characters because, again, spoiler alerts, flashing forward to in the books, those two, again, spoilers, turn it off if you don't want to hear it, but they fall in love, they get married, they have a baby. Baby. They do all of the they do all of those things. They eventually have a happy ending, but they didn't at the end of this season. They didn't have their everything 100% okay, this is our life worked out part. They're working towards it again, and you can tell that they love each other, and by the end they reconcile, but they didn't get the, this is what happens in the full term of them. And it was just great to watch, it was great to see, it was fantastically written, but again, going back to that feeling of film noir, at the end of it, there was a sadness, because yeah, at the end the, the bad guy lost, the good guys won, but there was a lot of casualty along the way. And not only that, but you see the character, the main character, sitting there at the very end, sullen. And not necessarily defeated, just exhausted by everything. Kind of a bittersweet ending they gave us. It was definitely bittersweet. Again, 
you had the hero save the day at the same time still not satisfied still in that feeling of downtrodden and we're gonna follow her I'm assuming on her journey to realizing her amazing potentials again and the fact that she is in fact not only a superhero but a great person because that really was the big issue that she was facing in her story arc she questioned her value as a person she questioned her value as a human being she questioned her values after being victimized after being taken advantage of after being raped and it was an interesting plot point to discuss too it was this way of taking that concept and putting it in a way that maybe people don't think about often you know they took the concept of rape and normally rape is being just people think in a sexual manner but you know what this show proved that it's not just sexual there was the sexual component of rape in it too but also just that forcing a person to do what you want with your words that's deep you have people unfortunately in this world and and you know you feel for it cuz you see it on TV and you hear about it but there's it happens a lot more than people realize where people are forced into situations they don't like through coercion in some manner or another i'm not embarrassed to say that i absolutely felt for her my heart wept to hear the story progress because you hear her over the story arc slowly accepting the fact that she was raped and not only that spoiler alerts again but there were many people that were taken advantage of and raped by purple man and not raped in the sexual manner in every case some cases were so much more simple there was one incident of a man whose son was in his car purple man decided he wanted the car and the guy to drive him so he forced him to take his son out of the car and leave him on the side of the road and drive away i mean it was so heartfelt and gut-wrenching you felt for this father who's just sitting there pouring his heart out to these other people who know exactly what he's going through and say i was i was raped I was forced into doing things I didn't want to do. I'm I'm upset by this. I'm scarred by this. I'm devastated by this. I'm depressed by this. I can't go on because of this. These people are raped and it just shows you that it happens to everyone and it happens anytime. And I'm not saying the world is unsafe. That's not what I mean, but it can happen to anyone anywhere. It's just a matter of of just I guess misfortune and you just feel for people you feel for characters but they make you feel for them as people because they were taken advantage of they were raped whether they were raped emotionally whether they were raped physically whether they were raped by manipulation by just being taken advantage of overall and being forced to do, just the act of being forced to do something they didn't want to do and that is rape that is a rape in any way not a physical but an emotional a verbal vocal rather anything you want to put it and it's just a story about people what do you do afterwards what do you do as a person after you are raped what do you how do you pick up the pieces how do you keep going on how do you keep going day in and day out 
And for some people is extremely hard. And some people struggle for years with it and never feel like they get great resolution. And you had a character in the show who, granted, has superpowers, but was able to overpower this feeling of loss of her power, loss of control, loss of control over her life, rather, and taking it back. And obviously, we use this in the sense of, oh, superhero, she's really physically fighting someone off. But it also represents the emotional inner turmoil that people have with these issues all the time and these problems and these traumas. Traumas is the word. It's just a great story about people surviving after trauma. And what do you do? How do you pick up the pieces afterwards? And it really... And that was probably the biggest victory for Jessica in the show. She identified herself as being raped. She confronted her fear. She confronted her... What do you call it? Her offender. And she was able to get through it. And although she didn't feel as though she won because at the end of the story she's sitting there staring blankly out at her window while things are getting swept around her all the dust and dirt and destruction is being cleared up around her and she's just sitting there and you know that she still has pain but you know she's gone through so much and overcame so much in this story arc and again just taking back the power after losing it from a traumatic experience like that It was a really impressively woven story. It was very powerful. The show moved me immensely. And the film noir aspects of it were the icing on the cake. And the acting and the characters were the icing on the cake. The story came together beautifully. And I hope to see it again soon. I know that we have other news in Marvel also with other stuff coming back soon, like Daredevil Season 2 coming back on Netflix soon. And I'm curious to see how these characters, or if they do interact with one another, how they interact with one another in this upcoming season. They've shown that these characters cross different areas, different different, uh, TV shows, because you see Night Nurse on Daredevil, then she's on Jessica Jones, and you know that they refer to the things in the Marvel movie cinematic universe also. So all these characters are connected, and I can't wait to see how it continues to unfold in their universe. Speaking of unfolding and going into universes, flashing back to the DC TV universe, I mean, there's so much incredible cross synergy going on there as well. I know that Legends of Tomorrow is coming out very soon. I haven't seen it yet, but I know it's coming out in the next couple of weeks, in the next month or two, and I'm so curious to see how they take that, as I mentioned earlier, that pseudo-Justice League, and take most of those characters and bring them into their own show and make them their own group and their own team. And it's not even just the superheroes. It's Heatwave and it's Captain Cold. It's Hawkgirl. It's Hawkman. It's White Canary. I know that we had Black Canary in the last one, but Sarah's back as White Canary in this show. It's Rip Hunter. It's the Atom. It's an incredibly interesting group of characters, and I can't wait to see them interplay with one another. Not only that, but there's a lot of talk of strongly rumored Flash making his appearance on another network, on another show that I haven't gotten a chance to talk about either, which is Supergirl. And Supergirl is 
couldn't have come at a better time. I know Star Wars was coming out, and there's a lot of talk of female empowerment and fe- stronger female characters in a f- central role. Jessica Jones got it. Supergirl got it. Star Wars apparently got it. And it's just great because Supergirl, again, there was this great moment in one of the episodes where they name her Supergirl and she's a girl. And then they go and say, why? What's wrong with being a girl? I'm a girl. I'm awesome. Girls are awesome. And I think that's such a great message. I think it's such a fantastic message to 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 hear, especially for people that grow up and girls that grow up without enough models, role models to follow. And, you know, giving more strong female characters a presence for them to be able to see and know that that's an option for them. They can be strong. They can be very strong. They can be strong as Supergirl, metaphorically speaking. But they can be strong individuals with their own strong personalities and their own strong wills. And I don't know if any, I don't know if that's covered enough, or it was covered enough, rather, before this. And now you get all these great things going on, and Supergirl is a beautiful show. Not only that, but it introduces characters that I never thought I would see in the live si- acting universe, in the cinema, whether it be TV or movies. And Martian Manhunter. Can, I can't say any more that. Martian Manhunter. John Jones is not his name, but he's still my Mar- make mine Martian. That is the Martian Manhunter. And I love the fact that he's there. And they do him so well. I never thought we would be in a universe where I'd get to see Martian Manhunter live. Not only that, but white Martians. This is incredible. This is all unfurling on the Supergirl show on CBS. And again, just this strong, strong show portraying a strong sense female character and just being a bold strong person it's so great to see I myself am expecting a child soon and if it's a daughter I couldn't be happier that these things exist now for her to be able to watch and learn from and know that you can be as strong as these people you can be as strong as these girls as strong as these women because you are a strong person and that's something I'm going to try and teach her if it ends up being a her if it's a boy I'll have a lot of TV and things to talk about with him also but if it's a, if I have a girl I'm so excited to share with her all of these things and show her how strong she could be because I don't know if girls get to hear it enough. I don't know if girls get to hear enough how strong they can be. I'm glad that it's happening now, though. I'd rather have it now than never. And a show that's done so beautifully well that introduces characters like Martian Manager that I never thought I'd see on TV. It just really, again, it's a beautiful time. It's the golden age of pop culture. It's the golden age of comic book culture. It's the golden age of science fiction culture. It's the golden age of storytelling. I think that's really what we found. We're really in a golden age of storytelling now where we have these people develop these fantastically strong and powerful ideas and convey them in half hour, 45 minutes, hour, two hours. They really have hit a stride now. And maybe it might just be that it's just one of those things that eventually would have happened over time. And what I mean by that is the people that make the decisions now, as I've mentioned in earlier casts, are the people that grew up watching this stuff. J.J. Abrams grew up a Star Wars fan, wrote a beautiful Star Wars story. 
And you have people that are on these flash shows hour that grew up loving comic books, reading comic books. And now they're at a point where they now can tell their story about these characters. And they're so invested in it because they've got such heart and love into it that they can give it their all and make them beautiful, make them fantastic, make them deep, make them about not characters, but make them about people. I'm not feeling like I'm watching characters. I feel like I'm watching people. I feel like I'm watching people that just happen to be super extraordinary in the sense that they do have superpowers. I just can't believe that we're here and at that point. And it really makes me excited as a fan because I don't think it shows any signs of slowing down. We're going to be in this golden age of, of, of storytelling for a minute now. And maybe it's just like I said, because it's our generation's time and we're behind the decisions, but it's not just that. I just, you feel people, even my parents watch shows now that are done, that are just beautifully written, beautifully acted. And there's one that I am actually starting to watch and I might start talking about in our Grodcast podcast, and that is Penny Dreadful, an interesting look at the horror fiction genre. And that'll be something I'm hoping to get done and talk about more in the future. But for now, I'm just going to leave you with this. We have amazing TV. We've got Supergirl on TV, Martian Manhunter on TV, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Purple Man, Hellcat, Nuke. We have Daredevil. We have... Arrow, we have Black Canary, we have White Canary, we have Hawkman. I can name them all like this, but I can just get to the crux of it. We have The Flash. And I'm super excited to see what Kevin Smith does on that show because I know his heart is going to be in it. I've heard him talk about it many times now, how great the show is. I've seen people go in and talk about how great the characters are with Kevin Smith. I've seen him interview people that created the show. His heart is in this show. And I can't wait to see what he does when his turn is up and he gets to direct an episode. And I know it's happening. I can't wait. And he's already said he's not doing his show. He's doing the Flash show. And you know what? I think that he is going to knock it out of the park. It is so great to be a Flash fan right now. It is so great to be a comic book fan right now. It is so great to love stories right now. And I'm glad they give us stories that we love watching. Because we don't just watch, we feel now. We feel for these characters. Anyway, that's the end of Grodcast for this week. I know it seemed a little scattered, but there was a lot out there and I missed a couple of weeks. But again, this is Ben Toper saying good night and Grod help us all.